0: What I've been up to lately, more recently, I did a music video uh, with Mike, who's my collaborator, DP editor. Um, me and him have been working together since I moved to L.A. 10 years ago. Uh, we met at a warehouse near Skid Row, which we were also sleeping in. And, uh, <laughs> um, but we did a music video. I don't know when Mike did last did a music video. I know it, it's been like 10 years since I did one. But it was really fun. It was just uh, Mike, me, and the the musician. He was a, he's a, like a pop singer, but it was like a moody R and B, you know, heartbreak song. It was just basically like it felt really good because it was like back to the roots of filmmaking, like just a camera, you know, my friend, like our camera or his camera, and then the person like that we're working with, like whether it's an actor or whatever, and um, just going out and shooting, like not not overthinking it and all that. And then we put the music video out and everybody that's watched it and commented on the guy's Instagram has been like overwhelmingly like... Because sometimes people say, oh, great job. And you're like, you're just saying that. But it was... When you read the comments, you're like, oh, these people really, really liked, really liked this music video. And that was really... That's always nice because I haven't... I mean, I directed something obviously like a year or so ago. But even when you ha when you go like a long time without shooting something, you kind of just like you're like do i am I still decent at this or am I getting better and so it was nice that it was such an easy shoot. it almost didn't even feel like we were trying, and I don't think we were trying because we were just like we just know what we're doing and uh and it was it was nice to see that okay, we still like like this is worth i this is gonna sound weird, but this is like still worth doing. Because if, it, if that thing turned out like garbage, garbage, um, I probably would have been really demoralized. <laughs> <laughs> the artist's name is Cody Smith. C-O-D-I Smith. Yeah. He's actually, and his a lot of his songs are really good, um, which is part of the reason, too, because when we did the music video, uh, when I decided I wanted to do a music video, I, I I wanted to do one where the song was actually good, because... The, le- the less good a song is, the more work you have to do with the music video to make it entertaining. But if the song is really good, you just have to de- you just have to bring like the music video just has to meet a certain level of entertainment because the song's going to carry it through most of it. And if you, can, you, if you can deliver at least that, like a good, decent music video, um, if it matches well with the song, then it just they kind of elevate each other, and uh, that's kind of what they did. Like, the song by itself is really great. And then I think the music video by itself, like, if you just watched it, it's good on its own without the music. But then when you watch two together, they just, like, they were a perfect match. And that's always nice because there's a lot of stuff I filmed where I'm, like, not satisfied with, or I'm not, I'm, like, I like most of it, but there's, eh, you know. And this is one of the few projects that I can watch over and over again and actually like every single part of it, like, pretty much like 99%. There might be one or two things here where I was like, oh, maybe a different shot, but, um, and that's super, super rare because uh, there's a lot of stuff I, I do like and I'm proud of, but it's also like, you know, you kind of, after two or three times, you're like, eh, I'm over it, you know, <laughs> and so, yeah, that was that was a really good one, and then the other recent thing is actually this week I'm finishing a script that I wrote for a production company that is owned... By the guy who started he either started or he was a, a big part of like the the lingerie football league and uh he even produced a whole reality show like you know behind the scenes type stuff and he like that's how he got his like success but he's like very adamant to be like i want to be like a serious producer even though doing all that it still takes a serious amount of production producer work but he wants to be taken seriously and so he's done this huge pivot for his like career and his production, he started a brand new production company, and he's just been like loading up on like serious material. Um, and so I've I've written a script for him about uh, he bought the life rights to an undercover cop who got murdered on the job, going undercover, and uh, that's as much as I can say about it because like the NDA. But it's actually it's one of the scripts that I'm really actually most happy with, which is interesting because it's not my ideas are really much there. I mean, they're, they're my ideas, but it's like, it's based around this life event, this true story. And so that, I'm actually really excited to see where that goes, because he's very, very determined to like, sell the script, option it, or get something going with it. Um, and he was really, really fun to work with. He a really great guy. Easy, fun, straightforward guy to work with. No, no like drama whatsoever, so that as far as more recent stuff uh currently or just in the past is what i've been doing what made me want to do the music video was boredom and necessity uh because i hadn't i did a short film about a year prior at least maybe longer than that and then uh necessity because i just i have to i go through these periods of where i like i feel like i don't want to like do directing anymore i just want to do screenwriting and so but it's also like when you don't do something for a long time, you can kind of like think that way. And so I kind of was like, Well I need to I need to shoot something to see if I actually really like doing this. Um or if it's something I wanna do. And I do. But I, I do know that I, I, I like it when it's done the way that I wanna do it. Uh I'm somebody who's always very much like uh all muscle, no fat, like and when it comes to production. Um that's how I've always done it and like, I know that people like as many people on set, but I also know, and a lot of people won't admit this, There's, you can cut crews down 50% easily. Uh, there's too many people standing around, it's a lot of excess, and I've just noticed being on so many sets that if you just cut half the people here, it would go through like 10 times more smoothly. And it's sort of one of those things, when you have too many resources, it ends up just making everything more complicated than it needs to be. And so being in sort of that music video thing, I kind of like, okay, I, I still want to direct, but I, I need to make sure that if I do direct something, it's done this this particular way. Um, and if it's not, then I'm not going to do it. And so even, even though I have like a couple scripts that I want to do that I want to get like a million or $2 million budget for, like I'm not going to do it unless it's like that tight-knit and it's not even just for me just because i know like with mike like 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 i just know like mike would thrive in that kind of environment as well and uh obviously give him the extra resources that me he may not have always had but i also know that like he's also very particular about people he works with and so it's like if he's having somebody there that's just like just like somebody an extra where extra money's going to that doesn't really need to be there it's just going to like be distracting for him and and stuff like that. Um, But, yeah, I mean, necessity and boredom and um, also kind of just like a change of pace. Just been like doing short films uh, and that's cool. But it's nice to just go out, shoot something for a night and then have something out in the month and just, that's always like a good feeling because the whole process of like a short film, even if it's a short film, is just very like taxing, you know, future projects that I want to do that I like adamantly want to do. I actually have, so I have four projects and I'm actually going to hire, probably hire a writer to do some work on two of them. So I'll go through, this will be kind of like a pitch in, in many ways. Um, so let me, let me rack my brain around this to make sure I don't forget them. But these are projects that I've worked on for a while. These are projects that like, they're not done yet. They're like first draft, second draft. But I'm like, I would really like these to get made. <clears throat> so I'll go through. Let me think again one more time, so I can make sure I have them all. So there's four of them for sure. There might be a fifth one. If it pops up, it pops up. So there's one that I have called. I was originally going to do this whole like trilogy of Los Angeles, which I'm still kind of doing. And they're not connected with characters; just connected through. They're all take place in Los Angeles. And uh, I kind of got that idea because of on, on the Internet, somebody had put, put a thing where it's like what would be a cool trilogy of movies that are already made but they're not part of each other. And somebody said like the L.A. Trilogy, which is like Collateral, Nightcrawler, and I think Heat. And it's like those three movies would make a great trilogy. And um, so I wanted to kind of do that with like a Los Angeles one. And I have two scripts written. Um, I have not thought of a third one, which is why it may not be like actual trilogy. But the first one, uh, the original title was called LAX, uh, which is like a double play on words because it's LAX because one of the main characters flies in an LAX. And LAX also stands for LA Times, you know. And basically it's these uh, two actors um, who... One of them is a a male and one of them is a female, and he's help you know it opens up with her him helping her do like a tape like a self tape and it just goes through all the iterations of her messing up and no, maybe I should do it like this blah 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 and she's getting really excited about this role and how she's worked so hard and then she finds out that one of her like best friends, you know how everybody's a best friend here uh is probably gonna get the role because the best friend is sleeping with one of the casting directors, so she kind of cracks and you know. She's like, screw this, we're going to sabotage her audition. So let's go, let's go to her place and let's, let's have drinks and let's slip her something so that she can like pass out and miss her audition. Well, they overdo it, she overdoses and dies. And so the rest of the movie is them trying to get rid of the body and cover all tracks because they posted stuff on social media and all this stuff. And they go through all these iterations. And the male actor guy, he's basically like, he hasn't acted in a year. You know, he's kind of at an age where it's like it's not going to happen. And so there's a whole sub-story going on with him. Um, but what I'm probably going to do is I'm going to change it to all women and call it besties. And uh, so I'm going to change the male character to another female, like an older female character who's an actress and is like, my time is up. Like, I'm 40 years old. I'm, I'm not going to make it. And then, uh, but kind of keep all the other sub-story stuff the same because I think that'll be interesting. And then... <clears throat> The other one is called uh nosedive and it's about a guy who basically goes to Mexico to get like a black market operation that he can't afford in the States. So he goes there to get it, but he's also gonna like the guy who helps him set set up that is like, Well, I'll have you I'll get you this operation that you need, but you just need to come back with some drugs for me and you'll make some money so you can come back with some money, you've been out of work for a year because of this condition that you got, so you'll be back on your feet. And everything just takes a nosedive when he gets there. <clears throat> and I might have, I might, I'm gonna have like two versions of that script like the way it is and then I'm gonna have a version that it's like science fiction. Same exact everything but everything takes place like almost minority report type just to kind of add it more sellable. And that's something I would like like to sell to somebody and you know just sell it for, like, a good amount of money. And then the other two are uh, an L.A. crime story, which is basically, like, if you're familiar with the movie In Bruges uh, with Colin Farrell, and I can't remember the other actor. He's a really good actor. It's just basically, I I always say it's just a bunch of people. It's just two people, or, like, people talking in rooms. But it's basically this uh, woman's sister gets murdered, uh, and she hires a guy to find out who did it so that she can get revenge and it just takes place over a couple of days And it's just a lot of time of them sitting down talking and of course They go through like the whole kind of like detective aspect of it, but obviously this is like in the underbelly of LA so it's just very covert and uh, <clears throat> My friend when it, he kind of described it perfectly he's like Los Angeles is a place that has like doors behind doors And so that's sort of the feel is like these characters having these like conversations that you think about in your head. Like, I wonder what these people are talking about behind those doors, you know. And so that's basically it. And um, it's very straightforward, but it's very much like dialogue driven and actor driven. And then the other one, the fourth one, I can't think of the fifth. I don't think there's a fifth one, but the other one is called uh, Eat, Pray, Eat, Pray, Blood. Prey as in, like, a prey from a predator. And uh, when I originally came out, I was just, like, the Eat, Pray, the Love stuff. I was just, like, oh, like, I should write a script, like, just based off that title. And that one is basically, it's kind of like a, like, each thing is, like, a different story that all kind of are in, under a, a bigger story. But... Like, the, it's basically... If I were to pitch in a very simplified way, it's a guy spending Father's Day with his daughter. But it's, like, the relationship's not good. She is at an age where she doesn't really respect her dad anymore. He's divorced, so obviously there's that whole divorced thing with, like, the mom and him. And then, you know, there's, like, a secondary story of this kid that's, like, getting initiated into a gang. And then it's sort of, like it comes back where it's like she, the daughter is dating that guy or they're starting to kind of date. And sort of like the overarching thing is like the father realizing that his daughter's in a state where he doesn't have control over her anymore and she's being like, like no matter how controlling he is as like in terms of his profession and his status, like his his little girl, like he doesn't control that. She's going to do whatever she wants. And it goes into more like things of like him having to kind of like um, like confront certain things about him. Not, he doesn't necessarily have a dark past, but it's just sort of just personal shit that or personal things that people have to like go through. And uh, at the end, basically, I'm not going to like give it away, but eat, pray. So there's a predatory aspect to it, like the gang initiation, they're preying on this kid. And then the blood part is kind of how everything kind of falls apart at the end. And it is, I kind of wanted to do like a modern Greek tragedy, so it's like, you think of like Macbeth or, um, can't think of the other one, King, whatever. It starts off as a very family thing, but there's like strain and then it comes to like everything. It's like bloody at the end. And so that's basically what happens, but it's like more modern day. On all four of those projects, the LA Crime Story and the Eat, Pray, Blood, I would definitely want to direct those and Mike DP. Um... Nosedive, I'm not sure. It kind of just depends on the situation. And then besties, I would ideally like f- to direct that or produce it. And bring in somebody else to direct and then Mike DP it. Um so like three out of four, Mike would I would want Mike to DP. Yeah, the partnership we have is just, hey Mike, you want to film something this month? Yeah, sure, let's check our schedules. <laughs> But when me and Mike met i mean we met we met at the warehouse in, in um and this is a very long convoluted story, so I'm gonna simplify it uh, I had just moved to l a and I was basically couch surfing uh I had lived a little bit with my cousin uh love him to death, but he's uh he's a heavenly nightmare um he's just nuts, and I can't say things he does on camera because it's <laughs> But everybody in my family would know exactly who I'm talking about. <laughs> and um, so I was living with him, and that just got crazy really quick. Um, and uh, so I started couch surfing, basically, in which I was already prepared for that when I moved to L.A. I ended up in a warehouse in downtown and, like, building sets for this guy who was, a, who was basically a, like, psycho. He was a psychopath, sociopath, if you want to say And uh, con artist, schemer, everything, and then Mike had came in through Atlanta, and he started staying at the same place and working for him. And uh, I mean, we worked together for a while before. I think we we ran we shot something together. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I know like the first thing that we shot together was a short film with our friend Bill, and that was sort of just like a thing. Like we had been working at that place for a while. We had been um, we got to know each other really. I mean, we're all staying there. It's basically a bunch of guys crowded in this warehouse in downtown, in the arts district kind of area. And hardly getting any sleep. After we all kind of like got out of that situation and settled, we just stayed really close friends and we're like, hey, let's just do a short film. And we didn't really think anything like long term, was like let's just do a short film. And we did it. Uh, Mike was staying at this other, uh, like loft warehouse. It wasn't really a loft, but it was like another where, but it was like a real living situation. (laughs) And, uh, and, uh, so we shot it there. We worked on it for a couple months in post, and then it did like really well. And it's just kind of one of those things like eventually Mike, uh, moved in where I currently live right now. Um, And it was just like, oh, let's shoot another thing. And then we just kept shooting stuff together. And then it's just like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, we don't really put too much thought into it. The difference between writing for somebody else and for myself. Um, For myself, there's a couple ways I can answer that. So let me give, let me think of like the right way. For myself... I have, like, a different anxiety. I have anxiety for both. Uh, For myself, I have anxiety because I know, like, I bear pretty much my responsibility, like, in terms of writing even just, like, a decent script that's readable or that somebody can read and is like, oh, it was good enough for me to read all the way to the end. Um, That, the only way I can know that is by sending it to other people. And so it's like you're kind of like showing it showing it to multiple people and you're getting more different opinions and stuff like that. And it's like, especially if I'm directing, it's like it's hard to communicate certain things that you see in your head on, on the page because you have such a distinct visual for it. And sometimes when I write, I don't bother to really worry about whether it's conveyed or not. And so it's like sometimes it's like, well, I'm directing it so I don't need to like change this thing because I know exactly how I'm going to do it on this on this set or on the day of. But ultimately, it's like, it's just like a different anxiety. It's it's kind of hard to explain, but you're kind of at the will of more people to get approval or validation for it. Well, when you're working with somebody else, you're really just getting their validation because they're telling you what they want and how they want it. And if it's they're happy with it, cool. But if they're not, the anxiety is different because it's like, I'm technically being hired and I'm supposed to do a job and it's like if I'm asking for a certain amount of money or whatever um, I have to like I'm not it's like like if this person doesn't like it and whatever it's like how am I gonna make this a career does that make sense and um, so it's like because the reason why people would want to pay you is because they know you can deliver to their standards but everybody's standards is different but with that, with just one person to focus on, you can actually kind of just, like, if they're like, no, I want the scene this way, you, okay, cool. You just change it that way. And if they're happy with it and nobody else is happy with it, most of the time they're like, screw those people, I'm happy with it. You know, so that's the big difference. Well, I guess there's, like, a buffer between you and the other people. And so, like, when it's just for me, there's no buffer. It's like I'm the producer and director, and I'm the one. So if I'm getting different things, it's kind of like it can get overwhelming. While with this one person, it's just like I just have to satisfy them. But if they, if it, if you don't satisfy that one person, it kind of just f- feels a little bit more like a failure in a weird way. So it, it's like this weird. It's kind of very abstract. It's kind of hard hard to describe. But it's just the different anxieties for it. And I will say the easier thing is is that. At least with when you're, I'm writing for myself, if I'm just set on a particular thing, I don't really care what anybody says. As and the easier part with the producer is oftentimes if I don't know how, to, they can just tell me, just do it this way, and you just do it that way, and you don't have to think. And even if if, if you don't think their idea is the best idea, it's like it doesn't matter. It's their project, so it's like you got to if they want the car painted black and you think it should be red, sorry, paint it black. You know, there has been a time where I've written something and it just like fell into somebody else's hands and I wasn't expecting that. And they actually made it. And it was a short film by Jacob Ellison, who also did a short film that he I wrote a second short film for him, Americana. And but before that, I had written a script for him. And I say that because I wrote a script that was, um a guy talking to a prostitute, that's basically what it was. And I had written, I don't even know why I wrote it or whatever. And then later, six months, a year later, he had been trying to do directing for a while and all that and he's like, hey man, do you have a script or do, can you write me a script because I want to direct my first short film. And so I had tried to write him a couple things and I wasn't really feeling any of them and then he was like, well, he's like, I just need two actors in a room. So I was like, oh, I have this script. And then like I found it, and he had me change a couple things because his family's very religious and proper. There was some unsavory thing. I mean, it's a guy with a prostitute. Uh, and so I kind of modified it a little bit and then sent it to him and then never heard from him. And then six months later, he sent me a link, and he's like, did it. <laughs> and uh, it ended up winning like multiple awards uh, it got accepted into the Atlanta Film Festival which is like a, one of the bigger f- film festivals and then that was like a huge ego boost uh, and it was a, simultaneously an ego boost and then like I kind of like like chickened out a little bit because he was really happy with it and I just like the the short film came out good but it's it's funny because it came out really good but there's also like first time director flaws in it like the sound is kind of bad but it kind of adds to the aesthetic of the of the pro- it was like a weird like like uh good mistake in a weird way and um but i mean he uh he had sent it to uh one of the writers for the Star Trek series and i can't remember his name but he was like oh yeah i sent it to so and so he wrote like Forty some episodes for Star Trek, like forty some episodes of this series, and all that. He's like, he said it was one of the best written scenes he's ever seen, and I was like, I'm terrified now because because it's like it's like you want to hear that, and it's like now I'm like okay, like if I don't write that well again, then I'm pretty much like a fluke, and then, but then I just like um, I remember hearing a quote from Steve Martin. Where he says it's it's easy to be great, but it's uh, harder to be good, and uh, um, <clears throat> so basically the context of that quote when he says it's it's easy to be great, but it's hard to be good is like being good every day is what's the difficult part because every once in a while you can just be great without trying, you can catch lightning in a bottle, you can, and he's speaking from like a stand-up comedian point, like you can go and kill and just destroy the crowd. And then, but you probably won't replicate that the next day. You just have to be good every day, get some laughs in and go. And so it was a big confidence boost, but then it was also like, I was like, oh man, like, what if that's the best I'll ever do? (laughs) What if that is my peak? And then I I had thought about, because I ran cross country and track in college and it made me think about, it was like my senior year and we were doing a workout and it was like, we were doing like the best workout we'd ever done. And, uh, running like insanely fast for us and I remember I was really pumped because I was like man you know we had like two races left I was like I'm gonna I'm gonna crush it these next two races I had just the best workout I've ever had and then my friend Corey uh my teammate he was like really sad and I was like what's up and he's like I just realized I'll never be that fast again like this is where it goes downhill and it was like so it kind of made me think of that too I was like well what if that's and it's a six-minute scene, so I was like, "What is the, <laughs> Those are the best six pages I ever write." And it's just like never. But I kind of like, you know, stopped worrying about that over time. And um, but yeah, that was that was a time when I wrote something that I never expected to ever get made, and wasn't even trying to even. And sure enough, Jacob got it, made it, and then it did really, really well. It won a lot of awards, actually. Yeah. The difference between somebody else directing my stuff and me directing my stuff. Um, for my stuff, satisfaction is yes and no. And I want to say no more on my stuff, like, m- like my directing, my writing. Everything else, like the editing, like the the cinematography, the acting, like the actors themselves like bringing their A-game, I'm satisfied with all of that. It's more of like a, like me personally, like... Like, I'm like, oh, I didn't direct it as good, or maybe my script wasn't as tight as I wanted it to be. And uh, so it's like, if there's anything I'm not satisfied with, it's only on the stuff that I had, like, direct hands-on type of thing. But, like, all the other stuff that everybody does, I'm, like, always, like, very satisfied with. And, um, but when other people direct my my stuff... It's kind I'm just, yes, I'm satisfied. And I think <clears throat> mainly because there's only been three, th- two directors who have directed things that I've written, which is Jacob, Allison, and then somebody else. Well, Tina kind of, my friend Tina, uh, her name's Tina Carboni, she directed a short film that I co-wrote for like a 48-hour film festival, and she did a really good job on that. But for that, it's easy for me to be more satisfied because I don't have too much stock in the visual. I'm just writing words on a page and it's just like, there it is, translate it however you want. So the difference is when I'm directing something and I'm writing it, I'm making the movie in my head and I'm picturing how I want the shots to be and the colors and all that. When I'm writing for somebody else, I just focus on the words. So whatever they bring visually, I'm just accepting of it no matter what because I'd never pictured the movie in my head which sounds kind of weird because uh, a lot of writers, you you just automatically picture the movie in your head. But I've trained myself that when I write for other people, it's just the words. It's just the, the words on the white page. I don't have a visual image at all of the film. So whenever they do it, I'm like, cool, looks great. In terms of gratification between stuff I write, produce, and direct and stuff that I just write for other people, it's yes, I get both, and it's kind of goes back to the writing for other people. It's like a different gratification for me because if I'm writing, producing, directing something, my gratification actually dwindles because I spend so much time nitpicking in the editing room to a point where I'm like, I'm over this. I was gratified already, kind of, and it's just like, uh, I'm over it. I'm over it. Like it's, and which kind of sucks, but when other people do it i basically write send the script maybe do some revisions and then six months later i get the finished product and i can like oh i'm gratified and i can only i don't have to watch it fifty thousand times <laughs> and it just stays and so yeah it's i mean i think it's the the difference between like you go to a restaurant you eat there once and it's amazing and if you don't go back that amazing first time just kind of stays with you as opposed to like oh, we're going there for the seventh weekend in a row, and now it's like that first time just kind of gets lost. And so, and that that's always kind of why I don't try to do so much all the time, because I just know how that feeling is. And I kind of usually wait until I'm starting to get, like, excited, like if I have an idea and I'm like, I want to do this again, because it's like I feel like I can, like, appreciate that gratification, even if it, I've, I know it's going to dwindle at some point. I know at least I'll appreciate it a little bit more because I've kind of like um, uh, detoxed off of like filmmaking for a bit. Um, same thing with writing, I don't write every day. I, I, I work on writing every day to some extent, but as far as like writing and telling a story, I stopped doing that every day because it became, the gratification was going away, it became more like a chore and all that and that's all like archaic things that more modern writers are kind of tossing aside is like, oh you have to write every day to be a great writer. It's like more and more people are realizing, no, you don't. Like you have to write often and, and practice and, and you know, do your do your um training so to speak. But it's okay to like let it go for a little bit and let the let sort of like your um, your passion for it kind of rekindle because you don't want to you don't want to like burn yourself out. Cause sometimes like I haven't done anything in a while and I want to do something, but I don't have anything written or in the director can like, like Canon ready to go out. I don't really, I'm like, I don't really have anything. So a lot of times if I know somebody who's been trying to make something or somebody just by pure chance comes to me and is like, wants me to help them with something. If the timing is right, like I'll do that to fill the time. And I think it's just, I do really, really small stuff, like pretty much like no budget producing, and uh, one, because I know how hectic and stressful producing can be, and that's not something I want to be my profession, but I think it's just also, it's just nice to, like, uh, just see things from a different, have your brain work, work a different part of your brain, and a lot of times when I do that, it actually kind of, like, nudges me closer to, like, oh, okay, now I want to, like, get in that producer mind and start producing my own stuff now. Or it gets me a little bit more um, like a fire under my butt to like, okay, I'm, this idea I've been working on, like I really want to do it now because I produced this thing and I kind of like got the ball rolling. Because a lot, I mean, I'm I'm relatively lazy. Like, like when it cut, like I I'll produce later or something like that. So it's like if I can just get out of my laziness for a bit, it's like a good little segue to do that. Like I'm very well aware of that. Like I can be very lazy. Not procrastinating, like just straight up lazy. Off the top of my head, the projects that I produced recently is just the music video. I mean, I directed that, but I was a producer on that. Uh, Mike and I were. And this web series uh, called Amateur. And uh, it's very much just like a, very, very much like a, like a rough and tumble production. And um, I kind of did that because I thought it would be fun, fun to do. There wasn't really too much thought about it. The person that the director for it, the writer and director for it, or the creator for it, um, his name's Matt Frulin. It's his first thing that he's ever done. Uh, I've known him for a few years, um, and he's always just kind of wanted to do something. And just over time, kind of like giving him input and kind of telling him if you're, you know, bouncing ideas off, and then finally he just wanted to like, okay, let's just do something. And so I told him I'd produce it for him, but kind of gave him a stipulation like, we're not gonna do any, if we're gonna do these little, I think it's like three episodes, they should be shot in a day or two tops, five to, you know, five minutes or so, just very, very simple. Uh, Because again, I don't wanna go full on producer, because that's a nightmare, and I don't (laughs) wanna do it. Okay, so Masculine I produced years ago. Um, and I produced only the first episode, but the thing is with that series with Masculine, it was, I came on to produce, for one, it just, it was a project that was, I don't think they really knew what to do with it, but they knew what they were doing. I'll put it that way. And so it was, I think it just kind of, it was like, we're going to do a pilot and that's going to be it. And we're going to package it or just send it out and see what happens. So I came on and I helped produce that pilot. And uh, then I think they just wanted to do more with it. And then it just kind of got stuck in like post-production limbo. And I, my whole thing was just like, I'm just producing till the production. And I'm not involved in the post-production. Because same thing, I don't want to be a full-time producer. And uh I have no idea what happened with that. I asked about cuz this was like 8 years ago. I want to say maybe a little bit, but it's been at least 5 years since then. And I asked for some updates a few times ago and they you know, the other producer who was Tina was just like it's just in post production like continuously. When I produce projects uh again like it goes down to timing and I do get something out of producing projects. One, I just, I enjoy like just the, having a creative help, like being creative, but on a very much lower scale. It's, it's almost like if you're a competitive runner and it's like, I just want to go for a jog on a Sunday with some people. And it's like, you get out of it, it's just sort of like meeting other people and uh, being able to en- kind of enjoy the thing without it. Because when you're like a full-on producer, like you can enjoy it, but it's a lot of stress and it's a lot of work and the enjoyment throughout the whole thing is like kind of takes a backseat. But when I do stuff producing, I can, I can enjoy just the, the, just the process of filmmaking without so much stress or pressure. Cause like when I'm directing something or when I'm producing something for myself, there's like the stress and pressure of like, is this going to be good? Is anybody going to like it? Is it going to even turn out the way I want it to? So you're always kind of just like nervous and anxious about that. And then, um, but when I'm kind of coming on as a producer, I, I always make it very clear, like I'm just, I'm just here to like, be, fill in the gaps with other producers, um, or it's just something as simple as just like let's just do something with my friends, because uh, I'm think I remember now like the first thing that Mike and I did, I was a producer on it, and a co-writer, but primarily a producer, and it was a thing called Piece by Piece, and it was with our friend Bill, and. That one, when I was like a full-on producer, like pre-production, production, post-production. Um, <clears throat> and that one, I mean, I just, I had just moved to LA. It had been about a year since I moved, maybe a little bit less than that. Hadn't done any type of film making whatsoever, at, you know, since I moved in. And and I was like, I have to do something because, and my friend Bill was the same way. He's like, I, He's like, I've been here for a year. I haven't even like shot a short film or nothing. And you know obviously i had known mike for a while and he was kind of on the same page and it was like okay like let's just do something like as friends and so we did that but we like we took it serious like but we were having fun but we took it serious cuz we really wanted to do like a good job and i think like everybody had like their fingerprint on that like from the production aspect i just kind of made sure everything flowed the way i wanted it to um Bill, he, like, wrote, directed, and acted in it, and so obviously he had his fingerprint there, and then, like, you know, he had his ideas, but then it was also, like, Mike and our friend Taylor, Taylor Nelson, who does, like, sound, and then our friend Brian, Brian Beaver, he was, like, the set designer. We were all friends, so there was, like, no, like, egos, and so it was, like, just, Brian, do your thing, like, do your set design thing, just make it look cool. Same so with Mike. Just make it look cool, Mike. You know that was pretty, pretty much the whole thing. Just make it look cool, and um, that was pretty much it. And that one actually did really, really well too, surprisingly, because it's very, it's like borderline X-rated, and it's basically like the whole premise is these two mobsters are just chopping up a body, and you slowly realize one of them is legitimately mentally insane, and it's like you know, the kind of thing that we came up with is, like, if, like, Scorsese and Hitchcock made a movie together. And so it has that, the best of both worlds. <clears throat> and, um, very X-rated, because, like, especially short films, if you use very explicit language, it usually doesn't get into film festivals. Very graphic violence doesn't get into film festivals. And it had, like, both of those. And, like, when I say explicit, like, I mean, this, the it was very harsh language. And, uh, it got into a lot, like a, like a good amount of film. I want to say like three or four, um, and then it even showed at the like Walking Dead Comic Con convention to like a ton of people, and it was in Atlanta. It was like their main convention, and it got into there because our sound uh, Taylor submitted it to a Philadelphia Comic Con, and it won, and then because it won the Philadelphia Comic Con it went to the Atlanta one to be, just be shown as like part of like the winning circle kind of thing. And uh, Mike was able to go to that and he sent me a selfie and it was just like a ton of people behind him because he was doing a and a And then he said that, if I'm correct, if I remember correctly, he said that like after the fact, like people were coming up to him and being like, your stuff was like the best thing there. And I think there was like some like studio produced like short films there that were like you know, how studios make short films to kind of promote or try to see gauge, like, a test audience type thing. And so that was, like, very much, like, that was, like, oh, like, it was just, like, some friends having fun. And so, like, even in that context, like, the producing aspect of that, it doesn't feel so much like I'm a producer. Like, I'm with my friends producing, making a movie. And so, again, it's kind of, like, keeping that barrier of, like, not going full producer, because I don't want to do that the reason why like that movie was so well received is because like we didn't care we re- yeah we really didn't care like it was just us making a film and Bill had one want- he's like I want to see this type of movie I've always had this idea of like these two mobsters they're having dinner and then there's a dead body and then you go into them chopping up the body and one of them you realize one of them is legitimately insane and and so <clears throat> it was like that sounds cool let's do that and we didn't really care about film festivals or any of that, and I think that's a big part of it. Is like I've had so many friends and filmmakers that are like, I'm trying to make a film that's going to go to Sundance, or I'm going to try. It. And I've I've done that too, where I want to get to certain things, but I still make the film that I want. And but I've seen friends they they like look at all the films that make Sundance or all the films that make Cannes, and uh, they try to find the template formula, and it's just like they're not even enjoying the whole thing, and it just, the odds of you even getting in are very slow, so you might as well just make the movie you want and get rejected off that, (laughs) you know, then make the movie you're trying to copy and get rejected, because it's just like, you know, there was a thing where um, Scorsese made that, like, I think it's like called like Boxcar Bertha or something, it's like one of his first movies, and then I want to say Brian De Palma, but it might have been somebody else, like showed the movie and then he like put his hand on Scorsese's shoulder and he's like you just wasted two years of your life making a movie you didn't even want to make and he was like so go make the next next movie like it has to be the movie you want to make and then he made Mean Streets and so it's like I've always remembered that and it's just like the last thing I want to do is like being like I didn't want to make that movie. I would rather make the movie I want and have it suck or get rejected than to make the movie I don't want and have it suck and get rejected. (laughs) Is there a movie that I've written, produced, and directed that is what I wanted? Uh, all of them are pretty much what I wanted. Um, I did do... I did two... Well, actually, there's one that I that didn't turn out the way I wanted. This was in college. And I did a feature film in college. That was the first thing I ever did. Well, I worked on short films. So I was like a camera guy. I did props and all this with uh, a guy who I always like consider like my mentor. His name is Daniel W. Ballard. And... Uh, He's in Lubbock, Texas, actually, and um, so I was working on short films with him, so technically I did short films, but never, like, directing and writing, and then I wrote a feature film, which was, like, barely a feature film. It was, like, 70 minutes, and I just did it, and in retrospect, I actually like everything about it, just because of how... Some parts, some of those scenes that we did were like really, really good. And then some of them were just not, like just plain and simple. They just weren't good. Um, and I kind of liked that about it, but it did not turn out at all the way I wanted. Uh, there were like two or three scenes that actually turned out so perfect. Um, that even if I redid those scenes today, they would probably come out exactly the same, which I always find kind of interesting because I've watched it a few times. and I'm like, I wouldn't change anything in that scene, like everything about it. And so I I like that because it gives me a little bit of, like, reassurance that, like, I, uh, like, on one hand, you're like, oh, I haven't improved. But on the other hand, it's like, I hit it so good that, like, I don't have to improve. I can, you know, and, um, but then later, uh, three or four years later, maybe two years after I moved to LA, so it was, like, 2014, 15, again, I just... my friend Bill was like, we should do a feature film. He's like, you did a feature film in college, you could do another one again. So I was like, yeah, I guess like, and I, I kind of eventually was like, I should just do a, like a redo. Like not the same movie, but just like I did that movie, so I'll just do like a redo of like a 6000 to $10,000 movie, shoot it in one location in my house, this house here, and just like come up with something that I can do. And so I just, uh, I wrote this, um, if somebody just watches it, it's basically a guy works the graveyard shift at a suicide hotline. And if somebody watches it just purely on that surface level, it's like the most non-believable movie because it's like people don't run suicide hotlines out of a house, a halfway house, all that stuff. But I feel like hopefully if people actually watch the movie like all the way through and think about it, they can kind of realize it's not actually set in like reality. It's like a different type of thing. But basically, uh, you know, I wrote the script um, and I just, I didn't, I put a lot of thought into the story and the script, but I didn't really think too much about it, which sounds weird. sounds like a paradox, and, um, because it is, and, but I had already done a feature film, so I already like knew what to expect and I already knew I could do it. So I was just more concerned on like making it an improvement from a technical aspect than it was what I did like a few years prior and I I, at that time I was writing a a ton like I mean I was I was writing like a feature script uh, every two or three weeks just cuz like I was just like on this high and um, the first two years I was in LA I wrote like 50 feature-length scripts most of them are pure garbage Um, but I was just writing a lot so for that to me I was like I can the script I can I can tweak that as I go and um, basically, I decided I want to do, like, that, you know, guy working suicide. And I want to do, like, my version of Clerks. And so that's basically what it is at the at the other, like, centerpiece of it, which hopefully if anybody watches it, it's called Suicide Watch. Um, they can take that into account. And, like, I think that helps. Because Clerks is actually, if you watch it on that layer, you think, oh, it's just a guy working it. But it's actually a little bit more... Uh, um, ethereal than that, people don't realize, you know, because the main character's name is Dante. He's stuck in Purgatory. It's actually a little bit more not set in the real world, as people think. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I did that one, and I was, like, I was very satisfied with that, very, very satisfied. Um, I premiered it at the NoHo Cinefest, and we got, uh, we actually got the biggest theater room which had the best picture and the best sound system but we got like the worst time slot 4 30 on a monday (laughs) and this is in north hollywood so but we actually got about um oops uh we actually got about 30 25 like over 20 less than 30 people to show up which to me was totally fine i was like great but um everybody really liked it and then uh i i got like two really good compliments but well one of the better compliments was for Mike, because somebody had asked, like, somebody thought he shot on a red camera, and Mike was like, "Nope, DSLR," and everybody was like, "No, you didn't." <laughs> but it looked in that in that because we, sh- I mean, when you saw it, the hi- they had the highest quality digital screen, and obviously we shot it on DSLR and everything, and it just, I mean, it looked, it looked great the this literary agent I like cold emailed him and said, Hey, I have a movie that I'm whatever, would you like to come? And he's like, Yeah, send me a ticket. He showed up and then like I was like talking to some friends and, you know, some of the actors were there like like, Wow, that was actually like they were like that was actually really good. Like I really enjoyed it And uh you know, filmmakers you can always tell when people are just like feeding you but I could I genuinely felt like they were being authentic. This this kid that was uh from Texas, he was, in L- he was in LA, he went to college, it's the same college as me, he cried and it was kind of annoying because <laughs> he was like, the main character is me in real life, I'm like, no, it's not. But um, uh, he cried and that was kind of cool but also kind of weird because um, I didn't know him that well. And, <laughs> and then the agent actually like stayed, like waited for me to finish talking to like some of my friends and some of their friends that came to watch it. And he, like, introduced himself. He's like, I'm the guy that you emailed. And he's like, uh, the compliment that he gave me, which is like, oh, you had some shots in there that Scorsese would be jealous of. And I was like, cool, man. Are you going to sign me or something? (laughs) And he was like, send me a couple scripts. And then I sent him a couple scripts, and we emailed for, like, the next few months, and it just didn't work out. Like, uh, he was just like, oh, these are good, but it's just not what we're looking for right now. And I was like, cool. But even just that, I was like, it's not that far, you're not that far away from getting, like, to the next level. And so I always kind of revert back to those, like, little moments and things like that. But also, I mean, when he made that compliment, I I wasn't, like, I was, like, very, very happy with it. Not be, because there was a lot of, like, thievery on my part from Scorsese. Because, obviously, I was making my version of Clerks. I was kind of doing this thing, but, like, one of, like, my big inspirations bo- that I didn't really tell anybody about, except maybe Mike, just so he can, like, understand, like, cinematography-wise, was um, Raging Bull. So I was, like, that's, like, kind of, like, the core feeling of Raging Bull, and Raging Bull has a lot of shots that I basically just, like, totally ripped off. And uh, so that was nice, and, you know. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I want to say, like, everything I do, I... I, I Overall satisfied with, um, and mainly just because the the people I have are just, I enjoy working with them, and they do a really great job. Example of films where I just do what I want to do in terms of like directing, writing, producing, pretty much all of them. Uh, if I, if it's not something I'm handing off to somebody else, um, but if it's like strictly me directing and writing, um, I wouldn't do it any other way. But there's three, there's three films I can bring up, so short films. Um, one is Soliloquy. Another one is, I'll just call Wolves for short. Uh, the full title is All Wolves Die Alone. Originally, I wanted to put it um, All Dogs Go to Heaven. That was like the original, but I changed it up a little bit. And then um, Neon Black. Um, so I'm going to point out Wolves first because it was everything that I wanted to do so when I did Wolves, I came into some money selling drugs. Just kidding. Um, but I I did a, I think it was like a freelance job and I just got like a fat check for it. And um, I was like, I just want to do, this. I just was like in this thing. I've done all these like little short, like small crew things. And I was like, I had met these guys that had a production company at the time doing all this stuff. I was like, I want to just do like a big budget short film. I just want to like pay this production company to like, be the production company to just take care of everything, like actually do sets, insurance, and all of that. And so this was actually the first time I didn't have Mike as my DP. And it was like a whole, like, we're shooting over three days and all that. And because this production company, they were, like, taking care of everything. Because I was like, I just want to focus on directing. Because I had always felt having to wear multiple hats and stuff was just, like, always... I always felt like, oh man, I could have done a little bit better if I just didn't have to worry about anything. I just... Gave money to a producer and said, "Take care of everything. I'm just gonna focus on like the actors and myself. Um, then, uh, you know, I could probably get the the result, to, like elevate it to like a whole new level and have like a whole production value. Um, and I was trying to do it the way I wanted, and it's like they were my obstacle the whole time. One, it was like I pretty much just emailed the producer." This is my shot list. Give it to the, the DP or whatever. Showed up like the day before uh, we were supposed to start shooting. DP's like, I haven't even looked at it yet. And I'm like, expletive language, expletive language. I'm like, you do know we're shooting in 12 hours, right? And you haven't looked at the shot list. So that was a problem. Um, we were going to set up for this scene in like a, a coffee shop. <clears throat> and it was going to be a night scene. And I guess because they're so used to being disorganized. and this is stuff I learned later on, because uh, my friend Tina uh, was started producing with them shortly after this, and, uh, which is a whole nother thing, but she would have to tell that story. <laughs> and uh, So I guess like bringing Tina on as like a co-producer, uh, that was like maybe the second or third time I worked with Tina as a co-producer, or the first thing she actually produced for me. And that was something I wanted, too. Like, I wanted her to be a producer on one of my projects. And she had never done that before. And so I brought her on as, like, another producer. And I guess because they were so used to being disorganized whenever they would set things up. They would literally be an hour or two late from shooting. And we were an hour or two ahead of time. So I wanted to shoot at, like, 6 p.m. when it got really dark out. This was around that time. Uh, We were ready at, like, 4 and, like, Tina was there. She was on it. Got everything organized, all that. And they're like, oh, we're all set up to go. And I was like, well, it's not dark yet. Let's just hang out and chill. Relax. And they got so... Well, we're ready now. Why? I was like, it's a night scene. We're not going to shoot anyways till 6. Just because we're an hour and a half ahead of time, that doesn't mean you guys have to panic and start acting like we have to shoot. Like, what are, you, are we shooting on film? You know, is, like, the film burning? Like, what's going on? Like, and they literally just, like... Like kind of forced me to shoot early. It became such a problem, I shot like, at the time that I didn't want to shoot because they were causing such a problem. So that was another thing. And then the scene just it was totally scrapped it. Totally scrapped it because it just wasn't the vibe, it wasn't anything that I wanted. <clears throat> but I still shot the scene the way I wanted. But the other thing is because this DP didn't actually look at the shot list, it's like there wasn't... When you look at the shots, they look good overall, but if he had actually put more thought, they could have been better. But nobody knows that. If you just watch the film, you're like, oh, the shots look great, but it's like, eh, if, I know they could have been better, like, if he just would have put more thought into it and actually, like, did his job. <laughs> and um, and then the other day it was, like, the final day we shot uh, at this, like, abandoned place in downtown. Tina was doing way more work than she was supposed to be doing. Um... The, uh, they were late in terms of getting stuff ready because they were disorganized. And then we were doing a steadicam shot. They were late on that because it was like messing up and, uh, my AD was supposed to take care of that. And then finally I just said, what is wrong with the steadicam? I'm thinking it's just not working. And they're like, the monitor doesn't turn on. I'm like, but the camera's shooting, right? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, can you see where you're going without the monitor? And he's like, yeah, I just have to you know, use this thing. Really? We've been here 45 minutes, and you guys are stalling because the monitor doesn't work? Well, I just wanted to, re- I was like, dude, no. So I said, let's shoot the thing. And I I remember the Steadicam guy was kind of like a little nervous, and I said, do you think you're a good Steadicam? And he's like, yes. And I was like, then you shouldn't have a problem. So we shot the thing, we did it, came out fine. He didn't need the monitor. It made it more hard, but he didn't need it at the end of the day. Then my AD was like not doing the things he was, and I was, I I like told him, I was like blah, 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 and he, and then he got really, he got really butthurt about me like scolding him in front of people. And so like, that was a whole problem. And it was just like, that whole time I was just like, oh my God, like it's the, I did what I wanted, but it just like the energy of it, it just didn't feel right. And then of course, when we went into post-production, that was a whole mess um, and at that point, they were just trying to, like, squeeze as much money as they can out of me. So at a certain point, I just, like, took the project for what it was. And then, basically, I just asked Mike. I was like, can we shoot some extra footage? And he shot some extra footage, and he recut it. And it got to a place where I I, I did with it what I wanted to do with it. So I was able to still be satisfied with it. <clears throat> but there was, like a like, a tainted taste in my mouth about it. And, uh, at one point me and Mike just said, let's just have fun with this and just like have different versions and like kind of just experiment with it. So we have like a VHS version. We have like a straight short film version. And so that's always been really fun and interesting. And I need to find both. And I think we have a third version. Um, we have, uh, trying to think we have one that's like, just like a shorter version and then we have like the VHS and then we have the straight short film. So we have like three different versions and they all tell the story in very, very different ways. There's like different, we did little, I was like kind of getting into like French New Wave too at the time. So I was like, I want to really get into that. And um, me and Mike just basically that whole, when we kind of like salvaged that project, we just kind of had fun with it and we just said, let's just do whatever we want. And like, let's just do this version and that version and, that and let's see what how it goes. And it was like, at that point, I got back to where I don't really care what anybody thinks because I, I really like what we're doing, and I I just like the fact that we stopped like we we kind of hit the switch where like we can really just do whatever we want, because it's not like we're making movies for a studio. It's not like we're gonna like we're trying to become millionaires off this. And at the end of the day, it's just like we're just making a movie, and so that was like it it got back to like the gratification thing, but when I watch it. I get I get upset watching it because it, I just think of the experience of working with that production company. And so it's like, I can't enjoy it as much because I'm also like, if these people, if I had just like done like the, well, it would have been a very different movie if I did it my usual way because I wouldn't have spent as much money as I did. And I wrote that script with that budget in mind. So it would have been an entirely different script as well, but with the same like energy, um, which was kind of like, like, kind of like how the next, the other two short films where I actually did it the way I normally do it, which is a small crew, Taylor, Mike, myself, and then a couple actors that I know, which was like soliloquy, we did that. Shot it in one day, 1.1 day, because we spent one day doing this, this like special shot. And um, actually we only spent like a few hours doing that. Um but we shot one whole day of shooting and it's not even like a full day, like seven hours. And uh, Neon Black, same thing. I think it was two days maybe. I can't remember. One, maybe two days. And it was the same thing. Like, we just did it the way we want. We just make the film we want. And, you know, and they came out. We enjoyed it. We enjoyed the way they, like, came out. The people that watched it like it. And with Soliloquy specifically, we, we got that into a film festival. And, uh, like, it showed... It was, like, totally not... It did not fit in with uh, any of the other films, really. Because, uh, basically, the film is... This guy shows up at a woman's house, and he kills her. Uh, he injects her with um, a lethal injection. And the whole point is that she stole money from her ex-husband, who was a criminal, like, boss. And it's just like, hey, you shouldn't have done what you've done. And she has this whole, like... Um, not near-death experience, but a whole death experience. And part of the movie is just sort of uh, her having this sort of, like, um, otherworldly experience. Like, you see her dying through her POV and sort of, like, the reality warping. And then you also... This character, uh, the the hitman, is kind of going through this weird iteration in his life where he's getting very existential. So he's having this moment where he's like, I'm taking this life, but it's like he starts thinking about things like, you know, multiple dimensions, and it's like, if there's a multiverse, like, you exist in another, are you dying this way, or is it the other, so he's getting into this weird existential thing, and um, we had that show at a a film festival, it only went into one film festival, and, no, maybe two, but (laughs) it was like, like, nobody, like, they saw it and then like, you know, she's getting lethal. It's like a close-up of like the fake syringe going in and she's having a, like a convulsion and everything. And it was Mike's sister that actually acted and she did like a really, really good job. And uh, it finished. Nobody just said say anything. <laughs> and then they went back to showing like these cute little short films and like, and we we're just like, oh, I guess nobody liked it. And then uh, <laughs> we went to do a Q&A and then, um, you know, the, every, every filmmaker is getting like a question asked and I'm just like sitting there. And then finally, some guy raises his hand and he was like, I noticed in the film that, you know, the, uh, the uh, color grading changed from this to that. Does that mean he's going into another? And he like, this one guy was like getting the thing that we actually did intentionally because I think from what I remember is like, it's like a little bit more saturated at one point from another because we want to give the impression he is going into a, another multiple dimension. And so that guy kind of asked that question. And I was like, oh, yeah, like, you know, like, yeah, that's pretty much. And then when we left, when they let us out, we're walking by and the guy, the guy same guy was like, dude, I really liked your short film. And I was like, that's the guy I make movies for. <laughs> that's the guy. And it's like, that's like a much better feeling. And then same thing with like Neon Black. Like, I mean, on my, I put it on my YouTube and I didn't really like promote it. I don't really, I just like put stuff up but it got like 400 views on its own. like, And I, I always thought, I'm like, oh wow, that's, that's a lot of views, you know? If like 400 people watch your short film or if even like 200 and they watch it twice, that's still a lot of people. And uh, so that was nice because there's like four, there's at least 400 people that like watched that and were like, I like this, you know? And um, that's kind of like the movies that I've always kind of like liked the most um, are ones where I get that feeling where the director is like, just doesn't care. Like, this is, you know, this is the painting I made, like, you can like it or not. And, uh, you know, same thing with, like, my favorite filmmakers like Scorsese and Tarantino. And the reason why they're so successful is because they really do have their own identity. Like, you watch, you don't, you watch their movie and you know it's theirs, but also if you didn't even know they existed, if you were to watch their movie, probably one of the first things you ask is like, who directed this? And so that's kind of like the idea. And like, when I, when I make, or when I write, or when I do a short film, I want that, I want to feel like if I gave that same script to like other filmmakers, mine would be the most different and the most unique. And like, they wouldn't make my version because my version is my version. And so that's like another thing that I, I always like think about is like, I have to do it that way. And. And, uh, hopefully at some point enough people like it to where I can get money to make like a, even if it's one time, like make, you know, the two or $3 million film the way I want to do it. And, uh, but that's, yeah. And I mean, doing it my way again, kind of going back to the beginning of like my, with just like that small, like just pure muscle, no fat type of crew. And which, you know, that's, that's the only way I do it. And it's like a painter or like a song musician like Prince is like I'm doing all the instruments you know I don't care if you guys gave me a half a million for an album I'm doing it in my studio like it doesn't change just because you give me more money and so that's kind of what you know I would still do it my way and if I can't do it my way then I just won't do it. If I get to a point where I can get like one or two million dollars for a feature um I'm still gonna do it the way I wanna do it, as if I had $10,000 to make it, with obviously some reiterations. Like obviously, I've told Mike before, like I, I wanna to get to a point where I can get you the camera, like, like get you at your full power. So it's like, obviously I have some ideas of like, I wanna shoot on this camera, but it's also like, we have the budget, we're gonna spend it where it needs to be spent. And it's sort of the same thing. Like obviously, now like I would get Mike like a grip and then, like, a camera op and stuff like that, but I'm not going to have four PAs sitting down. I'm not going to have five grips who are just kind of... No, and it's also, like, we always get the best when we maximize our minimal... Like, we get the... Not the bare minimum, but we get... We keep things minimal, and then we just maximize it to its full potential. I mean, that's why, like, when Mike gets, like, that DSLR, like, he maximizes it to its fullest potential to where, like, I mean, people just... They think, like, we're shooting on a RED or whatever. And only people who really know cameras can, like, tell the difference, which is, like, things. So it's, like, okay, so let's get the actual, like, the RE camera and let's maximize that. and let's, But at the same time, let's keep it simple. Like, we'll get the ARRI camera, but we're going to have three lenses. And that's it. We're not going to show up with 50 lenses or 20 lenses like I see a lot of these other, like, indie productions that are half a million, a million. And they they come with a red and they have like seven or eight lenses and they're sitting there like, it's like, no. like Because I think also creatively, creatively and artistically, there's a precision aspect to what you're doing. Part of it, like we flow and we kind of think of things on the spot, but at the same time there's a precision. Like, no, these are the only two things that we need, the only two or three lenses or four lenses that we need. No, these are the only... um props that we need and we're just going to maximize them to their full potential <clears throat> and same thing with a painter like you look like I watched like a lot of like Jackson Pollock paintings like he's using like two brushes you know and there's a lot of painters out there who will use a whole array of brushes and never even come close to what he's done and so it's sort of like it's a balance of like restriction in order to like um, like elevate yourself and so, yeah, we can get a million or two, but that doesn't mean I'm, I'm, we're going to just, like, exploit it. We're going to be very much like, okay, let's let's give ourselves the gift of, like, beefing it up a bit, but let's also, like, maintain that mentality, like, the independent mentality. Okay, like, we'll get the great camera that's worth, like, half a million dollars or whatever, like, if you were to just buy it outright or however much, if you were to soup it all up. But let's also, like, remember that, like, keep it independent. Like, let's only work with, like, these three lenses. And a big part of what helps is, like, we've had, like, very casual talks, me and Mike, of, like, if we get to that point, like, what are kind of, like, the lenses? So it's, like, but the reason why we're able to maximize is because, like, it's, like, every person has, like, a fingerprint. Like, Taylor, our sound guy, it's, like, he brings so much of his own personality into it. Same thing with Mike when it's, like, I want to only use three lenses, like, from there, Mike is like, okay, these are the three lenses I want to use if we're going to do it that way. And then it's just sort of like, okay, then we're going to do it that way. And it's like a trust thing because I know if he's picking these three lenses, he's going to, like, he's going to deliver because he's done it multiple times. And I think when we shot piece by piece, it was, I don't think we used very many. I mean, it was, that was a very bare bones, like very, very bare bones. And a lot of people, when they saw that, they thought we had, like, a full production going on. It was like, no, we had three, four people on set, Beaver, me, Mike, and Taylor, and the two actors, you know, so it was just like, just maximizing it, and as far as like those, it's like, um, you know, like, um, yeah, just doing it our way, and if somebody was like, well, you know, and it even comes down to like, if somebody's like, we need to make this commercially viable, I just know that for me I'm like I want to do it my way because I'm not it's not about me not wanting to like make money off of it I would definitely like want to make some money back on on something like that but I'm making a movie that I know